This is Howard Brand, host of the Cinema Pathway Podcast. When you're enjoying some of the biggest movies out this summer, whether you're seeing Ethan Hunt run, Indiana Jones ride a horse, or Ken and Barbie rollerblading, you may be wondering, how did they shoot that? Well, chances are they used the Steadicam. To help get you in the mood, we're going to be replaying our episode with Gregory Dillard, Steadicam operator and cinematographer. He'll talk about the history of this device and how it changed movies forever. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome, listeners, to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. Let's start out with some trivia. What do the films Bound for Glory, Marathon Man, Rocky, and The Shining all have in common? Classics, yes. Visually, all very interesting. There's a lot of running in uh, in most of them, so we're getting warmer. Oscar winners, some, but not all of them, but we're getting really close. Of the four things they have in common, one of those really stands out. I'll give you all a hint. It won the 1977 Oscar for Best Cinematography. Okay, those of you looking it up on IMDb, I'll help you out. The film I'm talking about is Bound for Glory, and the reason I put it together with Marathon Man, Rocky, and The Shining is those four films collectively were the first four motion pictures to employ the use of a Steadicam. In Bound for Glory, it was operated by its inventor, Garrett Brown, and it really took off took off from there. Today, Steadicams have pretty much become ubiquitous with filmmaking. Um, They're everywhere. I think they are a standard, especially on Hollywood sets. And today, we are lucky to be joined by someone who knows what is really behind the craft of operating a Steadicam. So please welcome our special guest today, Gregory Dillard. Gregory, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. So let's learn a little bit about you. Where are you from? How did you get into the film industry? And specifically, how did you make your way into Steadicam? Yes, uh, pretty much a long journey. I started, yes, where I was from. So I'm originally from West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, but I attended high school in Atlanta, Georgia, came back down here for college and ended up going away to play G.I. Joe in the military. Which branch? The Army. So uh, how I started in the industry... um, I used to be, the name of my company is Grape Seeker. How I got that name is I used to be in the wine industry. I was in the wine industry for eight years as a wine consultant or sales and ended up losing my job there. Uh, But prior to me losing my job, I started dabbling into uh, graphics and video. Um, I'll have to even back up uh, because I used to draw a lot as a child, as a kid. And I created a, a comic book character, I think in the third or fourth grade, had a whole complete origin and everything. I can't, re- I can't re- remember the name, but what was so funny about it is as a kid, I didn't know the legalities of everything. So me creating this character, I wrote the origin, uh, drew the character, and it was my only copy. And I had this grand idea that I want to send this off to... Marvel. Uh, I think it was Marvel or DC. Marvel. Yeah, Stan Lee is with Marvel, correct? So I sent it off to Marvel and forgot about it. But then after maybe two or three weeks, I kept telling myself, it's going to get published. It's going to get published. And I had to run to the mailbox every day to check and see if I got a response. And probably, uh, I want to say maybe, might have been a month later, I received a letter from Marvel. And I was so excited and I started read, reading it. And can't remember if they said dear. They didn't call me Mister. They said dear something. As I'm reading it and all the pleasantries, and they said, unfortunately, due to your age, we can't publish this. You know, because of your age. But thank you for your interest. Where's my content? They kept it. <laughs> and to this day, I still say years later, it might have been ten years or later. There's a character that came out, and I'm looking at this character. And I'm like, I can't remember the story, but this seems really like this was my character. So it'd be it'd be interesting to see how 
how far their vault, how long their vault is. Because I always have in my head that they stole my character. <laughs> so anyway, going back to the art part, I... I still kept drawing, but I really didn't pursue it like I did. My mother wanted me to go into art because I was so good at, you know, drawing characters and everything. But I was into sports, football, baseball, and tennis. Ended up going the tennis route. So I didn't study any art or anything in school. Well, really in college, I didn't. But I think in my 30s, late 20s, yeah, late 20s, early 30s, I started dabbling around in graphic design and really found that I loved it Uh, and video as well. And while I was still working at the wine company, I created, we had a sales team um, and we'd have these contests, like monthly contests. And you go to the meeting, you have to make this pitch. Well, each team will do a pitch uh, on a particular wine or brand. And if you won, you know, they give you something. So I decided at that time, I just got into Apple computers. Mm-hmm. And at that time, they came out with DVD Studio Pro and I was learning Final Cut. I said, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna knock their socks off, I'm gonna make a DVD. So we did a presentation and our team won, of course. And I just took it from there and I kept, you know, I stayed down that path. And uh, when I lost my job, you know, I, I, I had a plan. My plan was, you know, I said in two years, I'd like to leave this company and start my own thing. That was the plan. Well, it didn't happen that way because I lost my job and I jumped right into it. Okay. Did you want to start a, uh, a wine consulting company or? That, that's or why I got the name yes i did I, I was going to create a database okay. of wines and i lost interest in that but i still kept the name so i'm just going to keep the name because most production companies or creative directors they always have a weird quirky name doesn't have anything to do with video or anything and i didn't want to call my company gregory dillard's production or something okay. no that's too grape seeker is a great conversation starter yes it, it always has been and backing up i want to thank you for your service i'm a veteran myself marine corps um my wife is retired army as well. We're a mixed marriage, but we make it work on that. So you've been uh, in the wine world that led to art and graphic and doing video. How did you eventually move into camera operating? Well, again, when I started my company, uh, 90%, I want to say 95% of my work, uh, I did a lot of graphic design, some video, um, but the graphic design was more prevalent at that time. I still would do video and I still kept my uh, skills sharpened, uh, but most of it was graphic. So, and then the shift came where I was able to do more video and move away from the graphic design. And that was where I really wanted to be. It helped because I ended up doing a lot of when I would produce my commercials for different clients, I had that graphic design feel. So I was already good. I mean, I learned After Effects, so I knew about, you know, color, composition and everything and putting all that stuff together. So that that really helped out, you know, and then going to the whole camera side of it, you start getting more and more into it. Um, my first camera, I think, was a Canon XLH1. I'm sorry, Canon XL1. And from there, I just stayed in the whole line of Canon and eventually had to move away from Canon. Yeah. So was there, um, is there a film or is there something that you can look back on that that serves as an inspiration or you meant, you know, were you into comics as a kid? Is that what really inspired you to create this character or I was a book or something that really, really inspired you to go the whole comic route initially? Yes. I was a huge fan of uh, comic books, Daredevil. I used to love the Daredevil story, Spider-Man, of course. Uh, those are like some of my favorite characters. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, in our last episode, with Nathan McKeady, we talked a lot about, um, talked about the movie Sideways, uh, speaking of wine, talked about, you know, story and how story sometimes is sacrificed for spectacle, but really the Marvel movies um, actually did a really good job, especially the, the last couple ones of sticking to the story. That's on there. It's interesting to look back. I mean, I'm, I'm not a comic book person, but I knew Batman, Superman, 
Spider-Man knew the other ones. And if you were to 20 years ago that the most well-known superheroes today would be Hawkeye and Black Widow, Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, all these other ones that, that no one knew who they were except real you know, comic book aficionados. It's really interesting. And uh, DC just hasn't been able to get the get them off the ground. So we'll, we'll see how bringing James, James Gunn and um, I forget the other guy's name uh, will do getting that kickstarted. It'll be interesting. Interesting to see. You know, and it's in there. The, the camera work on those movies is really, really interesting. And I know most, you know, almost all of it is, is a lot of CGI, a lot of green screen on there. But when you watch, when you watch movies, are you able to really tell? That's a steady cam. That's on a dolly. That's on a crane. Yeah, that's on tracks. Yes. And sometimes you can be fooled by certain shots. And sometimes what they'll do, you'll see a culmination of the two. Uh, you know, they'll have to step off. You know, a steady cam operator might be on a, you know, a crane that they step off on, bring it around, and then they pick up the scene. Uh, and then you look at some other shots and you're like, wow. Yep. And uh, Bound for Glory, that was actually the scene, the, the camera operator. He was on a crane, starting from, from above, and it brought him down. Then he did the tracking shot uh boogie nights as a very famous opening scene into that really really long shot uh through the club that establishes goodfellas is another i think the famous one and and i'm a big swingers fan so one of the things when john i know i heard a story read a story when john favreau pitched the idea of swingers the one scene like he really really stuck to and wanted then the key was the homage to goodfellas when they do the walk through the kitchen at the uh, at the nightclub so what was the first Steadicam type device that you operated was it a, a real Steadicam rig? Did you use gimbals? Or no, Ronas so the before? first so Tiffin used to you know Tiffin uh, makes the brand Steadicam right so Steadicam and they initially had. Well, I couldn't afford it at the time because it was so expensive, uh, but I wanted to get into it. So they had this device called the Merlin, which was like a little handheld gimbal, had like an arc on the bottom that you could put weights on and it was handheld and you could put a, a small DSLR camera on it, right? So I went with that starting off and then I started looking at a bunch of YouTube videos and just started watching how they were taking that Merlin and they would they were adopting it adopting it to like the next version of Steadicam, which was the pilot. So then I ended up getting, what did I get next? I ended up getting the the arm. I got the sled, which was a Steadicam pilot. And I put the, I'm sorry, let me back it up. No, I didn't get this. I got the arm next because the arm, the Merlin could go on the arm. So I operated that. It was okay. Still wasn't the best because you had to hold your hand up under the bottom and do this weird move. And then eventually I went to the Steadicam pilot, which is a steady a full steady cam but it only holds particular weight it maxes out i think let me hold the camera up to 12 pounds and then from there i just gradually progressed and went up to the next one um which would hold more weight which eventually led, led me to my current one which holds up to like 70 pounds now did you learn this under someone did you have a mentor i did or did you, did. you self-taught I started started off trying to be self-taught, but I said, that's that's not right. And a friend of mine who was like a mentor to me up in Chicago, a guy named Michael Lazaridi, he told me about this uh, woman named Janice Arthur, who's like, you look her up, she's like one of the first female pioneers. And it just so happened, I was able to link up with her and she did a private 
two-day training with me in Orlando. And then from there, you know, I practiced and trained and had some other workshops. And it's all, you're, you're always practicing and training, always, mm-hmm. always. And and I mentioned a second ago, you know, Steadicam, Gimbal, Ronin. I mean, those are seem to be the pretty common names out there, but are they all basically the same? Do they have different functions and capabilities? Is one, are one or two of them exactly alike? They have different functionalities. Uh, they're similar because what the name Steadicam is, you know, derived from Garrett Brown. So it actually is a Steadicam. The name is copyrighted. So now they call it a stabilizer. Okay. Even other off-brand names, they don't call them a Steadicam, they're, they're okay. stabilizer. And people still associate them with a Steadicam. So, you know, your Steadicams are more, have more of an organic feel. So especially like when you're panning, it's not so mechanical. Uh, so when they came out with the, you know, I think they came out with the Movi first, I think. And then DJI jumped on to their Ronin. So those have a bunch of mechanical features like when you turn it doesn't turn at the same time but they've gradually you know gotten better and better and getting closer and closer to do some of the functions uh that a steadicam does and they've introduced other companies like ari they've introduced that trinity there's other companies that have different forms that you can different fact uh, yeah different device that you can add to a steadicam which will give you a, a better uh horizon so that that's one of the key things with the steadicam is to lock that keep your horizon a lot uh you know so that you're not wobbling it happens but then you have other devices now that they've added to it like the the volt oh i'm sorry by steadicam you have that you have the wave a company out of uh europe i believe so when you started learning and operating was there a particular film you worked on or project you worked on where it just finally clicked and you were like, I got this. I can operate the Steadicam the way it's intended and get the shots I want. Uh, can't say a film. I think it came from doing a lot of commercials and, you know, some music videos. Uh, but a lot of the music videos, when you're using them, sometimes it's you're doing a lot of back and forth movements. So you're not really doing the whole storytelling uh, part of it. Because you, you may go out and shoot the music video. You may do eight different scenes, mm-hmm. you know, or 10 different scenes and you're operating Steadicam and they just have you doing the same thing so you know they cut it all you're ready to cut it it's just from those different scenes and catching you move or whatever the case is have steady cams are when you worked with steady cam the the a cam or is it still a b cam with a just a main camera either on stick on sticks or mounted it depends you know it all depends on what the story is and what it calls for like in the case of some music videos it may be all steady cam uh and even in some commercials it may be all steady cam. So, you know, then when you have uh, your A cam, your B cam, your B cam can be your steady cam. It works that way. So when you mentioned you're, you're a sports guy, football, basketball and tennis, I know watching you know college football, NFL, you see now the steady cam operators sometimes on the field. When you first saw that, were you like, man, I should get I should get one of those jobs? You know, I didn't want didn't want to be in that arena. It's funny you say that. I know one of the guys that's uh, I've worked with him before on one shoot. Uh, got out, out of Orlando, Mike Garamond. He's doing all the NFL games now, as well as a lot of college games too. I think he did the Olympics. Yeah, he's real big time now. Yeah, one other thing, uh, I think we talked talk about it with some other folks. The uh, the Showtime, I'm sorry, Winning Time series on HBO Max about the Lakers dynasty. There's some behind great behind the scenes footage when they're shooting, uh, you know, the basketball scenes. Not only using a steady cam but the cam operator is rollerblading to keep up with them i saw that and uh a project i just worked on not to that extent but we had our cam operator on rollerblades to track somebody running that it's really uh yeah you know, it's really interesting how you can improvise and approach and really it's just i mean it 
almost 50 years now, it's really changed filmmaking. Yeah, it has a lot of devices that you can use now. Like I, sometimes I'll use a Segway with my Steadicam. Uh, and also, it's a mini Segway. I also use a hoverboard uh, too. Okay. I'd be afraid that I'd faceplant and break everything, everything with that. Because, <laughs> you know, there's there's the videos that are out there. Yeah, very, very interesting. Especially I like how you just evolved into it. It's not something that kind of just came one day. You know, a lot of steps that you went. You were fortunate to meet some people along the way. They were able to get there. And like you said, it, it definitely was was a journey. It is. So many neat things you can do with, with the Steadicam. Um, as an operator, when you're working, do you like being able to get really like up close into the action? Do you like it when you have to follow a scene? Or do you prefer more when you have a chance to maybe stand back a little, um, see the whole wide shot of it, and more like just moving the camera around a little bit to get some different angles? No, I like following the scene and getting getting into the action if, if there's a you know a story uh to it instead of just like your typical not i'm not gonna say typical but some of these music videos we're just going back and forth going back and forth walking back and forth that's really not just doesn't do it for me but i get it and i understand it i just prefer the the story part of it of you know how can we move this story more you know and introduce certain things without just doing the typical you know things that you see yeah camera movement just always adds something to the story yes that's on there no no matter what. We talked about Goodfellas. We talked about some of these classic long shot scenes. Have you ever done what could be called the long shot with the steady cam or something where, you know, for, I don't even know how long, minute, couple minutes, continuously? One music video uh, that I did where we basically did a 360, the whole music video, but as we're doing a 360, they're introducing different characters in it and different props into it. So it seemed like it's, uh, you know, you're in one space, you're going around in one circle, but there's a lot of action going on within that circle. Oh, that that's really neat. It reminds me, uh, there's a Janet Jackson video in the 80s. It was a street scene where a whole video was was one shot was one long shot but i cannot think of what yes when i think of you when i think of you yeah that's it really interesting and and again we're we're showing our age a, a little bit but uh you know, going back and now, you know, after after learning more, you know, how steady cams work. I know when I watch films, you know, you, you look for those type of shots. Yes. Yeah. Slayer also has a famous long shot. Uh, 1917 was a little different. They did a lot of crane work on that. And and really camera operation has really changed a lot, uh, you know, probably the last like 10, 20 years with that. So uh, let's dig into that a little bit in our next segment. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Cinevideotech and Paradoxical Films are pleased to bring you Tell Your Story. Master Training Workshops. You will learn how to work with actual 16mm and 35mm film and film cameras, as well as how to load and change magazines. In addition, the workshop will teach you what it takes to work on set as a first or second assistant camera, the fundamentals of lighting, and the pathway to becoming a director of photography. Visit www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash tell your story for information on dates, pricing, and how to sign up. Hurry as seats are limited and classes are filling up quickly. And we are back. Today, I am joined by Steadicam operator Gregory Gillard. I'm going to be honest. I operated a version of a Steadicam once. I think it was the Merlin, the one with a whole bunch of weights underneath. It was not easy. So I know from experience, it's definitely not as easy as it looks when you see guys either on the NFL field or behind the scenes. Yeah, we see them running around. We see them getting right up close to it. Can you take us through what it entails to really operate a steady cam from you know the minute you arrive on a set to getting it ready to operating it and 
you know, everything in between? Well, so I'll use a commercial or whatever cases uh, when you're prepping for it. So, of course, you'll speak with the DP, a director prior to that. Uh, sometimes you you can be involved in the when they go do the camera bill. Typically, they like to do that the day before if you can. So, you know, you can find out what camera they're using, what lenses, or what are all of the accessories that they're going to have on because that's all weight. So if it's a, you know, anamorphic lens, which are typically heavy, you know, some of your primes, they can be heavy. You go into your, now some of the lenses have gotten lighter. Then when you get into like your bigger cooks, those have some weight on them. So you factor that in. And if it's going to be, if the camera's being powered by an onboard battery on the camera, that's weight. You got to put that on your matte box, your filters, your wireless follow focus, your wireless video transmitters, the different cables and everything. So you want to have all of that in place so you get an idea of how much weight uh, you're going to be carrying. So sometimes when you don't have that, uh, you're not afforded the ability to go to the camera prep. You have to do it the day when you get on set. So sometimes if you're first up, you always want to get there, get your rig out, get it balanced, get it built, get them to put everything on there, which is going to be as is as that shot. Because what you what you don't want to happen is you go to balance your rig and then they say, okay, the first shot's going to be, you know, you're going to follow the subject here. So, and it's going to be a regular uh, regular steady cam, your regular mode. So you have regular mode and you have low mode. So when you have low mode, you know, you have to balance it differently because now as you're turning the camera, the rig upside down. So the camera is below, right? And you have to balance it that way. So the last thing you want to happen is you get set up for regular mode. And then at the last minute, they come, oh, change your plans, go low mode. And you have to be quick with it because sometimes they're standing like, okay, how long is it going to take? Then the pressure's on for you to hurry up and get it because you have some directors uh, that are understanding that it may take a little time. Then you have have the impatient people, uh, like the first, you know, the first AD might be standing there going, you know, what's, what's taking so long? What's taking so long? You know, and you don't want that to happen, uh, but it happens. And then if it's also windy outside, you got to find out too, is it going to be an interior or an exterior shot? You know, if it's an exterior shot, is it windy outside? So what devices do you have that can help you with the wind? So you can either have what they call gyros that go on the bottom. You introduce a thing called the wave, what I was telling you about. Um, and you also have the, the volt. So those those are different things uh, that you can add to the Steadicam. In addition to that, if it's really windy, you know, you got people that you can have a crew, you know, PAs that can stand your left to right or center to hold up a windscreen, you know, to block the wind when you're moving. Um. Does your rig, is it pretty much compatible with every camera? Yes. The current rig I have now, yes, because it can hold up to 70 pounds. Uh, that was by uh, Luciano River. Reverbery. The name of the system is called Rever, okay. Rever Stabilizer. So you can hold a camera up to from, I think, from 11 to 70 pounds. Okay. Do you max it out at 70 a lot? I have. I, I did one commercial where they had the full-size Alexa LF on that thing. I think that camera alone weighed about 30 pounds, 28 or 30 pounds. Wow. Takes you back to your uh, ruck, ruck march days, huh? Uh. <laughs> I'm, sure I'm sure your back was... Uh, not happy. No. Not happy that. Interesting. So like when you're actually in the shoot, what's that like? I mean, are you, do directors, because you're almost in the action yourself, you know, depending on what it is, do they just let you loose to do it? They tell you, you know, you've seen a shot list or you've seen a storyboard on where to go. Um, you know, once they call action, what happens? Well, uh, it depends on if it's for, if it's a, if it's commercial, everything's planned out. So if you're involved with the pre-production of it, uh, they'll tell you, you know, you'll get your shot list. You'll also get your storyboard. They'll go over you what the shot is. Uh, sometimes you may have, depending on the budget and everything, 
you may have a rehearsal day or you may get there the day of and there's enough time where you know you're going to rehearse so they might they might have stand-ins you might rehearse it multiple times with the stand-ins until you get it right then they'll bring out the talent you might rehearse it one one or two times with the talent and then it's go time and, and you talked to a minute ago about you know different weights gyros calibrating it must be I've, I've joked that cameras cameras have really become supercomputers that take video these days and it sounds like you're putting a supercomputer almost onto another computer to get it right what why is calibrating so important and you know why do you can you not just throw the camera on and and go you have to balance it so you have to balance it uh, for that particular scene you know if it's uh, you know again if you're outside and it's windy they have something called drop time so that basically means when you get the steady cam set up and you have to but you have to balance you know tilt it on its side and you release it if you want a slower drop time three four seconds that's really for probably if you're indoors or something if there's no wind when you're outdoors and it's a lot of wind when you drop time you want a faster drop time because of the weight you want the you want to be bottom heavy so the camera's not so much when it's bottom heavy you don't you don't have that much you have movement but you don't have that much and, and when you change lenses for example you mentioned lenses have different weights yes you, you, know, have, you have to balance it again you got to balance it again yes how, how much time does that take but i have my i have my first ad on and and i know from from shoots that i've done you know sometimes changing lens and having to recalibrate i mean on ones i've used it's taken almost 10 minutes and you add that up during the day, you know, you could lose an hour, hour shooting. About, about how much time does that take to change a lens and recalibrate and get it ready to go? Well, you like to find out b- beforehand, like, what are all the lenses that they're using? So if they're going to be using primes, it could be, you know, 24, a 28, 35, a 50, you know, 40. You want to find out all the lenses and you always ask, well, are these lenses the same in weight? You know, how, how off are they? You know, if it's a huge gap, then you've got to your rebalancing may take a little bit of time. But if it's close, it's not it doesn't take that much time. Can you get a, if they're really close? Can you get away with not rebalancing it? Like is there, I guess, a, um, a cushion, you know, for example, if it's, you know, a few ounces heavier, a few ounces lighter, it's not going to impact that much. Or or is it so refined that like sometimes the smallest it is. change? Yeah. Sometimes even if you even if you have it set up, let's say, you know, they've got you get it all set up. The map box is on there. You're outside. Uh, they've got and it's a three-stage map box let's say if they have two uh they've got three filters in there right and they say oh you know well take out the polarizer or take out the take take out one of the nds even taking that out you still need to rebalance it right you can get away with it sometimes but sometimes you may not have the time because they're, they're ready to go so you've got to figure all that out and obviously you know you mentioned you know cameras we know have batteries sometimes they're big or that is the rig itself how is that powered is it battery powered is it charged well so you have on the on the steady cams or on the stabilizers you have your batteries go on the bottom. So they can hold anywhere from two to three batteries. My particular rigging can hold up to three batteries. So y'all, you want your batteries all to be the same size and same weight. Because if you run out of batteries and then you put on different batteries that are a different weight, you've got to rebalance, you got to rebalance it all over again. So you want the batteries to be the same. Have your batter have the batteries on the rig ever run out or died in the middle of a shot? I had that happen a lot on a couple of shoots that I've worked on. They're using a Ronin and it kept no, not on my steady cam. No, that that hasn't happened okay. because I I really stay on top of that. I really stay on top of that. And do you have an do you, do you have an AC that you normally work with? Do do the uh, when you show up as a, at a shoot, you know, do they have an AC 
or second AC that, that's ready to help you? Yes, they'll have an AC. Um, a lot of times it depends on the budget. They may not, they may not can afford an AC. They'll, they may have a few extra dollars, but they'll always say, hey, do you know anyone that will possibly work at this rate? I know it's not the rate. And then you kind of feel bad because you have to call some people and go, hey, listen, this, I don't want to put you in this position because I wouldn't. I'm just asking, you know, and a lot of times they'll say, hey, you know, thank you, but no thank you. And then they'll call a buddy and go, can you believe this guy called me and asked me this? We've talked a lot. We, I say on about half the episodes and definitely the last episode, we've talked about the um, the controversial, I'd say, notion of, you know, working for, for quote, free, you know, working for the minimal that's on there. But as it comes into, you know, we talk about rates and, you know, union rates or all that. Are Steadicam operators differentiated from camera operators or do you all they fall are. under the same category? Yeah, because it's a specialty position. And so you should get a certain rate for that. You know, you get a rate for gear rental than as an operator. It should be more of a protected rate. But, you know, in some cases, if it's not union, in some cases it's all over the place because, you know, some people are hungry sometimes. Uh, well, everybody's hungry, but sometimes uh, the production may not have the budget, but they want this shot. And a lot of times they'll ask you, can you work with them? on this and that's a call that you have to make but you typically don't want to go low because it hurts the industry as a whole you should we should all stick together but that doesn't happen all the time are there a lot of uh you know obviously hollywood atlanta new york you know the big hubs where we are kind of south florida a lot of commercial work a lot of music video work are there a lot of steady cam operators or are there just a few of you that are true specialists and true experts no, there's a lot of great guys down here a lot of great guys down here you have osvaldo severa very good guy very great guy you have Joe Sanchez, Jorge Bustamante. There's quite a few other people. Is there enough commercial work and music video and other down here to, is there enough demand to meet the supply, I guess, of, of the Steadicam operators? Or do a lot of you, uh, you know, travel to, to different locations, get out of the area? I believe so. But some of your top guys, some of your big guys, they travel, you know, outside of the, the location there, all over the state. Not, not just Florida, but, you know, different states as well. Uh, you look at Osvaldo Silvera, you know, he did Moonlight. Uh, he also did Till, the Emmett Till movie. Oh, yeah, that's coming out soon. I don't know if that came out yet. It's coming out soon. That's definitely on my... It looks excellent. It looks outstanding. It looks amazing. That was him. That was all him. Oh, really? Interesting. And he's a he's a South Florida guy. One, one of, Yeah, one of the best guys. Okay. He also did uh, he did a lot of uh, Ori Estefan stuff. All the big music videos. I was going to say, I, th- I think every... If you've been in the industry for a while in South Florida, you've, you've crossed paths with, with the Estefans. Uh, the Estefans or Ricky Martin's name, name comes up a lot, too, even, even going back to the, uh, we're showing our age. If we say we're, we're going back to the Menudo days, <laughs> the first boy band, I think that's on it. Um, so if somebody wants to get in, you know, learn about this, is there a Steadicam certification? Is there specialized training? Yes, Tiffin offers... Uh certification they have a two-day course and they have a week course the week course is more intense uh, because they're focused more on the bigger rigs the two-day course is like on their smaller rigs like their zephyr or arrow uh, but then their week-long courses they focus more on like i think the archer the m1 and m2 they're they're bigger brands and they do a lot of the car mounts uh and all different types of things then you also there's another guy in california that really big uh greg what's greg's last name anyway they miss it his handle is Steadicam Lesson, and he offers all of his trainings are private. Uh, he films them and everything. He'll put them on uh, Instagram. Uh, he was a big operator himself, but I think he got injured and okay. he went into training uh, people. So 
He he stays very busy, very busy. You have to go to him though for training. We usually don't get into film business and cost too much on individual episodes. We are going to talk about those types of things, but let's say top of the line rig. I mean the top of the line, top of the top line, line, the rig. best producer gives you a blank check and says, "Get the best one." What does that run? I mean, with accessories, you, you easily can spend over. When it's all said and done, especially if you go with like the the RA Trinity route, I think you can very well eclipse a hundred and something thousand dollars. And then how much how much is the actual like if you got the RE one, how much is the top of the line RE camera to go with it? Ooh, like the right now I think it'd be what the the L F thirty five or something like that. I think that's that new one. That body only I think is was that seventy five, seventy five thousand? Something so, like that. Yeah. So probably, you know, then you start counting, you know, putting lenses on. Now you're probably talking almost three. Yeah. three K. Three hundred K. Some some of the less you get a full kit of those lenses, especially some, like those RE Supremes, that's about three hundred grand. So having all that gear literally on your shoulders. Yeah. With with that. It's a big responsibility. You also mentioned a lot of commercials, a lot of music videos that you've worked in. Which is what's your favorite type of work to do? Do you do, do you like him when you really get to get in on the action or do you prefer to kind of like take a wider view and just follow? I like the the narrative the narrative uh, work of it. Music videos are, are music videos are fine, but I like them when there's a method and story behind it. So let's say if you're gonna start, okay, we're gonna start here. This is where we're starting. You know, the action's gonna be, the talent's gonna walk this way, people are gonna cross, and then you're gonna end up over here, and you're gonna go here. So, but of course you have to rehearse those moves. I, lo- I like those because those are actually very good. It's the ones that you're just seeing, just walking back and forth, going back and forth. That's, you're not really utilizing it how it was intended, but I get it. It's not my right. cup of tea because it, you're just doing the same thing. Like, what are you doing to create the shot? So it could be so much, you know, let's say if we were to do a, a narrative piece in here, you know, how we, it, and it's a three minute scene. So three minutes on Steadicam, we're going to use this whole area to tell this story. So we're going to be moving throughout the whole, we're going to be blocking, doing everything else. That's what makes it great. Have you done any, uh, I guess we'll call them long shots. Like, have you ever done any really long tracking shots? Yeah, you know, we talked about Scorsese and you know some of the classic ones. I did uh as a friend of mine who's uh, a guy named Ricky Luis. He did I did this music video once with him where it was just one scene. Uh, we're just going around in a circle, but in the midst of going around in that circle, you know they had a lot of the grips on the side, like pulling things out, people walking in different crossings. So that that was interesting because it was a whole it was a whole entire music video. Yeah, I think there was. Oh, years, one of Janet Jackson's early videos, I think it was, it was supposed to be a one shot. It may be two, it was a one, but, it was, it, but I think it was a one shot. I made a comment about that a few months ago because I said, who did this? Because this was amazing. Uh, I forget the guys. I, cause the guy, I think, who did it, he actually cut came on and commented and said that it was his. It was that Janet Jackson song, When I Think of You. Yep, that's it. Yep. It was like the street scene. Yeah. We're showing our age. They don't make it like they used to. You know, we talked- uh, That was like, very good. Yeah, you know, we talked Goodfellas, those type of shots. And, and like I said earlier, it's really it's really changed things in, in 50 years. And uh, it'll be exciting to see where things go next. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in our next segment. But first, we would like to thank our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who has been providing filmmaking equipment, training, and services to the film industry, both inside and outside the United States since 1968. M2 Films, who provides directing, writing, and assistant director services. ComTV, who offers consulting 
consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment, marketing, advertising, and commercial projects. This is Howard Brand with the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. And we are back with Steadicam operator Gregory Dillard. As I mentioned right before the break, Steadicams, they've been around now for almost 50 years. In the last 20 or so years, we've seen the rise of drone photography. There's remote operated cranes. Uh, You can even like pre-program cameras now through automation. But with so many of those things moving away from, I guess, taking the camera out of the operator's hands, what do filmmakers risk? by not having someone's hand on the camera, their eye through the viewfinder and a monitor. Like, why is it important to still have a human being operating the camera? Well, when you talk about the automated part, right? So different shots may call for a different technique. So it, it could be the case where you don't you don't need a camera operator to ne- necessarily hold a camera. You'll have a gearhead or a remote control to get that shot. So when you talk about, you know, huge telescopic crane, you're not can you're controlling the, mm-hmm. the camera on that through automation or through you know a device wheels or something right? right same thing if you look at like a long shot where they're using like their remote control heads now well that's a particular shot and a different style that they're looking for so it's all relative in terms of what they want to use it for so it may not need to be someone holding the camera on the shoulder to move it may be this specialized move that they're looking for and if it is a specialized move then it will require this type of gear to get Get that move. Is there still a risk though at those taking away opportunities for camera operators in general? No, because again, uh, well, you do have a point there. So in some cases, I'm thinking of sports now. So if you can now, if you look at some tennis matches, you don't see any. I think in some of them now, they've they've gotten where they they're using cameras that are already automated that are controlled to do the back and forth. Correct to do that and on the sidelines to do something else. Same reason why they've eliminated in some tournaments you no longer see linesmen. It's all using the, what they call the Hawkeye, you know? So again, you know, you look at cases like uh, the movie Children, Children of Men. We've talked about that a couple times on this podcast. Right. So so that particular shot where they're driving, car scene. right? That, that car scene. So if you looked at the behind the scenes of that, there was actually a car mounted, a smaller car mounted on the front on the driver and the whole crew for that scene, they built a rig on top of the car. So camera operator, director dp everybody's up there with a remote control head so that's how they got that shot so nobody's hand was on the camera but it was all control right it's it's similar to the uh, a lot of people use an analogy the uh the supermarket self-checkout argument yeah self-checkout makes it easier to get through but you're eliminating jobs and then you go through the self-checkout there's somebody checking your receipt and it's like do you trust me to check out my own stuff or or not and uh you know being military you know veterans that we are you know, the rise of drones with that. And, you know, I, I know I've seen pilots, fighter jocks, who are still like, yeah, you know, drones are good, but you just, you can't take away from, you know, the feel and instinct that a pilot has to be able to react to um, react on the spot and that. So when, have you ever had a situation where filming the scene, it's been storyboarded, you've rehearsed, gone through, but then when you get the shoot, something happens, you have to react to it just to like keep the shot going or make the shot work? It's happened sometimes with a case of where the shot ends up being longer and you might be a little fatigued. So you've got to sit there and 
muscle through it and hold it that can be very hard and there's cases where also where i've done a shot on, on steady cam and let's say it, it initially wasn't perfect because of the move they were trying to do and the director may get you know may get upset or like oh this that or the other but then you're saying to yourself well this shot is really this this is a dolly shot this is not a steady cam shot you just want me just to go forward to the talent and go back and forth but then you're using a green screen or blue screen you know with tracking markers on there that particular shot should just be a dolly shot. But does that happen a lot? I mean, you talk about a dolly shot, either you need to want to have a dolly or need to lay track those type of shots. Is it just easier to have a steady cam operator and just let him him or her back up or walk forward? Well, if they're going to lay track, that's different. That's time. But also, you, I think you need to look at, well, what is the camera package? What is the weight of the camera? Because if it's not that big of a deal, because you lay down camera track, you're going to put down a Fisher dolly or Chapman Leonard or whatever the case is, or a Panther dolly. Uh, so then you got, that takes time. Well, you have a Dana dolly. You could possibly use a Dana dolly, which takes literally no time. It's just, what, two pipes, two stands, and you know, you've got your move there. I've used a a Home Depot dolly with two Apple boxes on that. The tracks dolly I've used. And, you know, the point you made, has the opposite ever been? Has there ever been, like, you've been on a set and you see they're about to do a dolly shot or some some kind of shot like that. And you're like, you know, if we did a steady cam with this shot, I could get in closer. You know, we could get more motion. We could actually make this scene a little more interesting. I think that, uh, I don't think you necessarily want to do that sometimes, especially if you don't know who the director or DP is and it may not call for it. You know, if that's not part of the, you know, the script or storyboard or whatever the case is, then you just gotta, it's, it's not your call to do that. I mean, it all depends on your relationship you know, with that director, if they're open to it, if it's going to mess up the whole continuity of what their objective is. Right. Or the DP, you know, take it to the DP. Have you thought that though? A lot of times you don't have to answer. <laughs> Think it a lot, but it's not your call. A lot of the obvious that are there, you know, steady cams can get up close. They can keep up with, with the action. They're, you know, just much more flexibility on there. Are there other things that steady cams can do that, you know, regular moviegoers or casual Lookers or even people in the industry just may not know really, you know, the extent of the capabilities. What I was told uh, and taught is that sometimes it's good for a director or a DP to take a steady cam class just so they can possibly get a better understanding of how it works and what they can do with it. They don't have to be, you know, they don't have to really know how to use it, but they can get an idea and a better understanding of it and how to really use it effectively. Because right. uh, there's different ways that you can do things. There's different shots that you can achieve achieve with a steady cam. There's some shots that you can't get with a steady cam, but you can get with a stabilizer, you know, with like a Ronin or a Movi. But now they've it's gotten better now because they, like again, like I say, they've added these other devices that work in addition, you know, with the steady cam. And now you can do set certain moves. Like on a steady cam, once you're in low mode, you know, that's a certain look. Depends on how big your sled is, your post, you can get the camera down to the ground. And so when you bring it up, you can't go from the ground up to eye level. But now if you have what they call the trend or another one of those three axis type things on your steady cam. Now you can do that, but you have to practice with that. And that's more weight that becomes heavier. So you have to get used to that. Have you ever just had to get into some crazy positions? Tight spaces, spaces yeah. that afterwards tight. you're like, oh, yeah. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> no, nah, it's tight space. And you're like, 
So you mentioned gimbals and that. Is it good that gimbals and Ronins, they're kind of making it more accessible to filmmakers to be able to get those type of shots? Or is there a learning gap between that, that people are just grabbing them, using them, they're not using right? And in a way, it's almost at a risk that they could undercut actual professional Steadicam operators. Well, that's, you can't stop that. That's going to happen. It's been happening. Those devices are all tools. Right. There are additions that you can add to your toolbox that you can do this as opposed to not being able to do that. So it's not that it, the dolly didn't cancel the crane. The crane didn't cancel the dolly. It all has its use. Right. Steadicam didn't cancel the dolly. The dolly didn't cancel the Steadicam. It all has a use and a purpose for it. So you can use those in conjunction with one another or you can use those separately on their own because you may not be able to get that particular shot with that device. You may want to go all the way to the ground. Let's say it's going to be some, if it's somebody walking along the street, you want to stay on their feet and on their shoes. And then you want to go to someone sitting in a car. Let's say the person sitting in a, in a truck or a van that's higher up. Well, Steadicam, you can't go if you're in low mode, you can't go that high from low mode. But if you have a stabilizer, uh, you know, Ronin or Movi, you can, right? And there's different things that you can do uh, with it by add, you can even add it to a Steadicam to get that move. Like you now you can take the DJI Ronin RS2 and RS3 Pro and you can mount that to your Steadicam and now it can act something like a Trinity, right? But you're still, you're limited with the RS2 and RS3 Pro, you're limited by the weight of the camera. Now you can take, you can take the big full size Ronin 2 and you can add a larger camera to that and put that on your Steadicam. Now, you know how heavy the Ronin, the Ronin 2 is. Now you're going to put that on a Steadicam, there's more weight and it'll work. We just have to really practice with it. Do you operate basically exclusively as a Steadicam operator, DP, cinematographer? Yes. Across the board, do you, do you, I'm sure you've had shoots where you've used multiple methods. You've done some Steadicam, some traditional camera, yes. everything in between. Feature I have worked on earlier this year, well, in, in May, uh, it's called the Haitian Wedding. We did three days in Miami and three weeks in Haiti. And I was uh, this first AC, Steadicam operator, drone pilot. <laughs> <laughs> So uh did all of that and it was it was fun. It was fun. So you know, wore different hats. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about things outside of film. You know, you mentioned commercials, music videos. We've talked in previous episodes just about content in general that's out there taking over, whether it's TikTok videos, um, Instagram. Because of, of the flexibility, you know, the steady cams offer, where where do you see them going? Like what's next, you know, in that realm? I had this conversation with someone, so try not to take up too much time, but when they started talking about the, when the Ronin came out, right? And there's a gentleman who's a big time Steadicam operator too, a guy named Kevin Andrews. He and I would talk and I would always say, man, you know what? I said, it's only going to be a matter of time before, you know, DJI, which has a ton of cash and uh, the R&D department is probably huge. It's only going to be a matter of time before I believe that they're able to get the Ronin or the stabilizers down that it can do like a whip pan just like you would normally do it by hand you know because on, on a steady not steady cam but on the run you set it up to turn you know the pan there's little delay in it so what's going to happen when it becomes very organic like a steady cam so they're getting close they're getting closer and closer luckily and fortunate enough tiffin came out with that volt device which really helps because it really locks the horizon and it's easier to go from low mode to high mode 
because I think what happens, you have to balance it in, in a neutral, but it's, it's great with what they're doing. So, but I think the companies like DJI, they have so much money that they can really, you know, focus more on some of their stabilizers. And I think what it'll, what it'll also eventually do is just become an addition to the tool that you're currently using. I don't think it's going to cancel out steady cams or anything like it. It's, it's just an addition. And right now, they're just capitalizing on everything because they've got all types of stabilizers. They got stabilizers you can put your phone on, every, everything. I uh, I thought you were gonna, you were going to take that in a different direction and be like, you know, DJI. They're developing a you know an Iron Man like flying suit with cameras, so the camera operator can just fly over them. Is it difficult? Not I don't want to say difficult, but does it take like a minute? Or two, just to like reacclimate yourself when you're switching from the Steadicam to a drone, back to the Steadicam, back to a traditional, you know, camera on sticks, just like kind of like, okay, now, you know, this operates a little differently. Got to get my mindset back into this. Or at this point, is it just like no, so, I, I, so I natural to yeah, you? Yeah, I, I don't think it does because I think it's a natural, like riding, well, some of those is like riding a bike. There might be a little, a little bit of that change what you're talking about with, let's say if you go from Steadicam to let's say going to a Ronin, like the big Ronin. And even that, let's say if you've got on like a ready rig or easy rig, you got to put that on, that operates differently. It, it achieves the same result or similar, but that's a different, you know, mindset and getting ready to how do I use this? Well, you know how to use it, but it's just, you got to mm-hmm. do things a little bit differently. Interesting. So what, obviously the Steadicam you enjoy, do you enjoy doing drone work? Do you enjoy like kind of going old school? Just you know, operating camera on sticks, trying to get handheld stuff with the Ronin. I like using the Steadicam. If I had my choice, I'd rather use a Steadicam um, just because of the movement and how organic it is. But then again, it depends if there's a whole story behind it, not just your typical, well, just do this, go go back go back and forth. I think you remind, you know, we're talking about music videos. I think of some of the, the older ones where, uh, like the Verve, Bittersweet Symphony, where it's just a guy walking down the street the whole time. But but it it, it, it is a one shot. And um, when I moved down to, to South Florida, I was actually surprised to learn how much the music video industry still exists. You know, I'm one of those that joke, you know, I remember MTV when they played music videos. So, um, you know, this may be a little bit outside, but when, you know, for the music videos, are they just part more of the, the grander marketing plans for these groups? They're made to go on YouTube, Instagram on that, or like, what's, I guess, what's the platform? What's the reason for still making music videos? Yeah. I think that platform has changed all the way around. It's not like it used to be, because if you think about like some of your back in the day, uh, some of your big artists that had these huge elaborate music videos that actually had story. I mean, who, there's no one to me, there's no one that did it better than Michael Jackson. Oh. I mean, no one does the, the story. I mean, those are like many movies, you know, they were like many movies and there's nobody that did it big like him. So now they're pushing out the content so fast, so fast. And now you, we have all these different platforms now that weren't available to us back then. Back then we had, we had MTV, VH, VH1. VH1, and if we're really going to date ourselves, we had Night Tracks. Remember yep. Night Tracks? You just yep. come on TBS yep. at Friday nights. Friday, and HBO would play music videos in between movies every once in a while. Not not, not so much as Night Tracks. I, I remember I used to, I was in high school, so couldn't wait for Friday night to watch Night Tracks all, all, all night long. You know, and so with all the new platforms you have right now, they're putting it out on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, it's so many platforms that they're pushing these music videos out now and a lot of them are being released strictly on you know on a YouTube platform you know look for the video premiere of this artist on YouTube you know and I think that's the go-to place now where you're seeing a lot of these artists 
release their work. You still see them on TV. I haven't seen, I haven't watched music videos on TV in quite some time. I see them all on, on YouTube and they're still spending big money. They're not spending the kind of money they used to spend, you know, like millions of dollars and sometimes, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think those are few and far between now. Yeah, it's uh, it's really is a thriving industry that I think gets forgotten a lot of people and especially the opportunities with that. And especially if you could bring into that as camera or Steadicam operator to be able to really, you know, help them tell a story instead of just filming a couple of people singing on that and making it boring. Very interesting. So is that really where, you know, when, when you do your focus, you talked about, you know, your your company, you know, music videos, commercials, are there, is that really where, where your focus is? No, my focus is now to go more to long format, you know, short films and some films to be more story oriented, you know, and to be able to tell different stories using these devices or using, putting those at the forefront, you know, and going with that. Yeah, it's a, I saw a documentary recently. Um, I saw the God Forbid documentary. You know, we actually, you know, Billy Corbin actually came by. We were able to watch with him. And just the uh, the amount of drone shots that he used heavy, in that, he- just, heavy drone. just to tell, to tell the story shots, yeah. where, you know, if you know what the story's about going in, you're like, wait a minute, how are drone shots going to figure into this? You know, and, you know, maybe just the establishing shot at the beginning, but it brings it in. And then I think, you know, he did. You know the reenactments in that were good, and, I, and and I think he was. I think there was some steady cam work in there because he definitely great, got up yeah. close and personal. I don't think I don't think there was any steady cam work. I don't. Okay. I have to go back and look. I don't. I don't think so. I remember. That's the expert eye of you versus the amateur. <laughs> uh, the amateur. I, I, I eye could of be me. wrong, but I don't think. I don't think there were. I don't think there was any steady cam shots in there. A lot of opportunity out there. Uh, you know, talk about your future. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. We're going to take one more break, but first, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and giving us a rating. Then you can head over to our online store at www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash shop where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more. I'm Howard Brand, and we are back on the Cinema Pathway podcast, talking today with Steadicam operator Gregory Dillard. So we've talked about a lot of the work you've done, talked about your journey. What uh, what are you currently working on? Currently right now, what I'm working on, believe it or not, is my website. <laughs> <laughs> That's been a journey in itself, but just uh, rebranding the whole entire website. Uh, I could have had someone else do it, but, you know, during this whole downtime, I just decided to fo- focus on that and let me work on that as it's under construction can uh people st- still visit it no i have i have it, compl- I have it completely down completely down so i'm looking to have it up uh within within two weeks okay and if our listeners want to follow you on social or keep up with what you're doing how can they find you think follow me on instagram at i'm uh, at, at grape seeker that's g-r-a-p-e-s-e-e-k-e-r pretty much post all of my stuff there um on facebook my name gregory dillard Oh, and my company name, which is Grape Seeker. You can find me there. You know what's crazy? I didn't, I don't even know my TikTok name. 
I think I think it's Steadicam Grape Seeker. I think my TikTok is under my dog's name. So I think I'll just show how much I don't how much I don't use. I, I look at stuff, but so many platforms it's, out there now. It's interesting, and you know, I'm I'm no expert in that, but from uh, you know previous guests and people I've talked to, you know, Facebook has gone the way of old people. I use it because it's the best way to keep in touch from all, with all these people from different phases of my life. Instagram is now starting to give way. TikTok, you know, whether it's people's attention span or people can just be more creative on there. You can also find me too on YouTube. I'm the same thing I'm doing there. Uh, that's on uh, Grape Seeker and then on Vimeo, which is Grape Seeker Motion. Find me on there. Okay. And just want to come back to, uh, you mentioned some places earlier in the podcast that if somebody does want to get into being a Steadicam operator, there's a couple of you know, training and certifications that are out there. Can you just mention those again? Yes. Yeah, Tiffin uh, has uh, two courses they offer. I think a gold course, gold workshop, and I forget the other one. It's a two-day court workshop and there's a five-day workshop. Five days or seven days. Yeah. But then the that's more intensive. You're in the you're in the Steadicam the whole entire time, which so is th- good. Those are in person. Yes, those are in person, and they also have uh, the guy Greg. I can't remember his last name, but his handle on Instagram is at Steadicam Lessons. He's out in California. You have to go to him, of course. He doesn't go. You have to go to him. He's got it all set up there. He trains you there, and then they also have. I think up in Maine they have an SOA workshop or a Steadicam workshop that's there. So it's a few places. And where are the Tiffin workshops located? Do you know? You have to look on their website, but they're located in different parts. Okay, so so they do them around yeah. around the country? Oh, that's awesome. I know one of the, the week one they have, I think they still have it in Bannings, Georgia. They have one in Bannings, Georgia, and they have one in California. And they run about, I, looked, I just looked at the price the other day, I think it's almost five grand now. But they, they include all the rigs, all the meals and everything. Interesting. I wonder if, uh, you know, we talk a lot about film school on here and, you know, the, the evolution, you know, it's gone. Schools have almost gone hundred percent away from film. You know, some of the big ones I think still do using digital on that, you know, will they start investing in Steadicam rigs for students, start teaching how to use them uh, correctly at that level. Um, we'll have to see where the future goes. Yeah, they teach you all, all, they teach you all the basic stuff, the balance. There's a lot of books out there too. Uh, Tiffin has, they had different, I want to say they have two or three Steadicam versions, handbooks, they call them Steadicam handbooks. Wealth of knowledge in them. Uh, you can always keep it with you, use it as a guide. And then again, like I said, the guy in California, Greg, Greg was a big time Steadicam operator. He did, he did a lot of feature films. And now you can go to him for training. He also has, uh, I think he still has an online, it's not a course, but it's more or less a workshop, like three or four minute clips that he tells you about the steady cam, what to practice on and what to do. Those are very helpful too. Yeah. So our listeners in California, definitely check that out. If you are interested in getting into that line of work, uh, last question before we, we wrap up, what does your future look like? Where do you see yourself going? I see myself going more into films, more narrative work, telling more stories. Uh, that's where I see myself. Do you think the, uh, I'm sorry, I know I said last question, but I do have a follow-up question to that. Do you think eventually uh, the South Florida you know, film industry will, will come around and see some growth or? Come back around. You know, the, the whole thing with that, I'm not fully understanding of the whole tax incentive thing that basically took everything away. And now, you know, everybody's in Atlanta, still California. Where is it? Atlanta and California, California, New York, and, New York and I think it's still big. I think it's 
it's big now with that tax credit in New Mexico, I believe so. So why they didn't bring it back here, I don't know. You know how these politicians are. So because they used to film so many things uh, down here, but once that ran away, went sunset, I don't know where it's going to go now. Right, and there, there's talk of a studio coming to Broward County, but a lot of people that have been here for years say, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, you know, they, they had a huge, I remember when, do you remember when they brought Digital Domain here? I remember when they brought it and I actually interviewed uh, with them just more so for like uh, motion graphics and all that, all those type of things. But I remember when they set their foot down in West Palm Beach and I kept it to myself, but I said, this is a great idea. However, I just don't think it's going to work here. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. I was sad to see that that happened, but I just didn't think that it was going to work here. We'll see what happens. Those are definitely topics that we will tackle in the future. A lot of discussions about that. Uh, but we have been, this has been a great episode. Been happy to have you. Such great information. You know, my eyes have been opened to that. Definitely going to look at thing, things differently. We are happy to have you back on the podcast in the future. Yes. If you wish. And uh, best of luck with everything moving forward. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed this. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Miguel Miller. Our producer is Juliette Desan, with associate producer Victor Ferreira. The executive producer is Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website, www.paradoxicalfilms.com, for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com, where you could send any comments or suggestions for future episodes. Remember to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and visit our online store at www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash store to get your Cinema Pathway gear and follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more. We hope you will join us for our next episode where we will continue bringing on special guests to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway podcast. Lights out.